language is really important in all communication and being mindful of your language is absolutely critical. This is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business. Welcome to another episode of Stay Paid. I'm Joshua Stike along with Luke Acre. And before we bring on today's guest, we'd love it if you take a minute to subscribe to Stay Paid on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify if you're not already. And while you're there, drop us a review. We'll read it here on the show. This week's featured review comes from Tay Loves This App. So mm. Tay Loves This App. Uh, Tay says, real-time actionable content. Five stars. Thank you, Luke and Josh. I've been a realtor in Atlanta since 1999, and your podcast has been a game changer for my business, wow. mindset, and SOP. I'm not sure what she means, SOP. Standard um, operating? Yeah, standard operating procedures, probably. Stock option price? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be better, right? Uh, yeah. I doubt we're giving anybody any <laughs> advice on stock options. I'm also sending your magazine and about to start my first farming postcard campaign with you. I find myself recommending your podcast at least once a day. You guys wow. are amazing. So real and authentic. Thank you so much, Tay, if you're listening. Really appreciate that. All right. Our guest today is Matt Abrahams. Matt is the founder and principal at TFTS, a presentation and communication skills company based in Silicon Valley that helps people improve their presentation skills. As a passionate, collaborate, and innovative educator and coach, Matt teaches effective virtual communication and essentials of strategic communication at Stanford University's Graduate School of Business. Wow. So I hope, I hope you brought your smart cap today, Luke. Um, I don't think smart. I have a smart cap. So <laughs> what you see is what Matt's you get, book, guys. Matt's book, Speaking Up Without Freaking Out, is now in its third edition and was written to help the millions of people who wish to present in a more confident and compelling way. Matt, welcome to Stay Paid. Thanks for being here. Hey, excited to be with both of you, Josh and Luke. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, Matt, Absolutely. I'm super excited about this. Everybody knows like public speaking is like people are more scared of that. <laughs> yeah, it's the Jerry dying. Seinfeld joke. Yeah. Yeah, you'd rather you'd rather be in the casket than speak at your funeral. Exactly. Right? Yeah. There you go. So I'm excited about this. And it also is the skill set, I believe, that for an entrepreneur, like you have to be influential in your ability to speak, like have to, to get your ideas across, to earn prospects, all that stuff. So I'm super excited to dive into this topic. Would love though, Matt, to just learn a little bit about your journey and how you even got into this industry of teaching people how to do public speaking. Yeah, so it, it started when I was actually a really young boy. Two foundational events happened. I, I remember one day when my father, I was probably like six or seven, was reading the newspaper. This is back in the day when people actually read newspapers. And he was laughing behind the paper. And I said, Dad, what's so funny? He was reading the comics. And there was a, a comic strip of a father with his arm around his son looking at a store that the father clearly owned and it said going out of business across the store. And the caption of the comic was someday son, this will all be yours. <laughs> and my father found it hilarious and I totally didn't understand it. And what's so funny, the store's going out of business. He said, it's perpetually going out of business. That's their ploy to get people in. And that was the first inkling I had gotten that, that through our communication, we can actually influence people. Mm. And not too long after uh, my mother asked my brother and me to help her with a garage sale. I grew up where there were garage sales all the time. And my mom wanted to get rid of some of our toys and things like that. And she said, as we were helping her make signs to announce our garage sale, that we should spell the word garage wrong. And she insisted that we put a B in the middle of the word. And when you do that, uh, you have a garbage sale, not a garage sale. And we were the only one in our block, our area, to having a garbage sale. And I'll tell you what, we sold more stuff than anybody else. 
To this day, my mom thinks it's because we spelled that wrong. I think it's because people thought we were stupid and they'd get better <laughs> deals. But again, it reinforced this idea that through communication, we can actually influence and persuade people. And that's something that I studied in graduate school. When I worked in the corporate world, I, I saw it playing out all the time in terms of how people were perhaps not having the brightest and best idea, but they were able to sell it better than others. And I became fascinated by that. And when I returned to academics and teaching and strategic communication, it's all about how to be influential and how to be persuasive. So it all dates back to when I was a little kid, learning from my parents how to manipulate people. <laughs> hey, it's, it's advertising, marketing, right? Sales. Yeah. yeah. Manipulation's so, not a bad word. Come on. It yeah. doesn't have to be a bad yeah. word. No. We call it influence, and that's how we we, we fix that. Yeah, Rob Shadani, right? <laughs> influence. Well, it is funny, uh, before you get into the first question, how a lot of times the people who speak up and maybe are eloquent in speaking aren't really the brightest people in the room or aren't necessarily, or at least in my experience, aren't the ones with the best ideas. But the people who have the best ideas aren't normally the talkers. So the skill set of being able to be able to share your idea yeah. is so essential. And then if you apply it to leadership as a good leader, you should not just go towards the most eloquent. We'll talk about that speech. a little bit, Matt, this idea of speaking up without freaking out. How are you sort of coaching people or what's sort of the idea behind that? Yeah, so I'll just echo the point, Luke, that you made that, that uh, the ability to speak and, and, and the ability to do a job in a, in a great way are, are related, but not always the same thing. And I think as leaders, as managers, we need to make sure that we're reaching out to those who might not be as eloquent as others. Uh, but that's certainly not to say that bright people aren't eloquent. They, they are. Um, in terms of speaking up without freaking out, it's really all about help, keeping, helping people to be more confident and clear in their communication. Mm -hmm. The number one fear people report is the fear of speaking in front of others in high stakes situations. 85% of people report feeling anxious in high stakes communication situations. And quite frankly, I think the other 15% are lying. <laughs> I think we could create something that would make them nervous too. So it's really about helping people manage both symptoms and sources so that you can feel more comfortable when you're up in front of people. What about people that naturally, because I'm, I'm this way, I'm sort of the processor, right? I, I, I have to take, I think on it. And then once I've kind of formulated my thoughts or opinions, then I can actually uh, speak on it. What do you say to people who are kind of more, more geared towards that way of thinking before mm -hmm. speaking that, that can actually like tangible things that can actually help them in one of those types of high stakes meetings or something like that? Right. So I think, I think, Planning and, and thinking through what you're trying to accomplish are critical for anybody. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I encourage people that, that to really speak well, the first thing you need to do is to think about not what is it you want to say, but what is it that the audience needs to hear. Mm -hmm. Many of us make this fundamental mistake of starting by thinking what we want to say is the most important thing. In fact, it's not. What's most important is what the audience needs to hear. Mm -hmm. So that reflection you're talking about, really thinking about who's my audience, what do they know, what are their likely attitudes, where are their resistance points. That can help. And once you have that, you craft a goal for your communication. And to me, a goal has three parts, information, emotion, and action. What do you want people to know? 
How do you want them to feel? And what do you want them to do? And if you do that kind of reflection, it gives you a level of confidence because you know that your message is going to resonate and you know that you're going to be able to focus on what your audience needs. So that preparation, that thoughtfulness is really, really important. And some people, as you said, gravitate towards that. Other people aren't as oriented towards that. But if they can move in that direction, they can be less nervous. Can you talk a little bit about your thought process on the openings? Like, mm-hmm. like I feel like the opening is so critical to, to garner the attention, not only of an audience, if you're presenting there, but even if you're one-on-one, like it, it defines so much of the vibe and the feel, which then dictates obviously where things go. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, thank you. I I hope uh, you see me taking my soapbox out and I'm about to stand on it because I have a huge pet peeve around how people start their communication. I am on a personal mission and hopefully you and your listeners can join me on this to stop presentations and meetings from starting like this. Hi, my name is, and today I'm going to tell you about. It is the most boring and banal way to start. In many cases, it's ridiculous because you're showing a slide or a pamphlet that has your name and the title of what you're going to say. I actually think communication needs to start like action movies. How does an action movie start? It starts with action. You're dropped into the middle of a scene trying to figure out what's going on, and then the title and the credits come up. So how do you do that? Well... You start by asking a question, taking a poll, giving a startling statistic. Maybe you show something, you do a demonstration or show a video. Get people hooked, get their attention, which by the way, I think is the most precious commodity we have in the world today, is attention. You have to get people's attention, but what's more important is how you sustain that attention. So to me, engagement is sustained attention. So you have to start by getting people's attention. And then you have to build in some techniques and use some some tactics to sustain that attention throughout what you're saying. What are some of those tactics? I've heard people say like, yeah, you got to make them laugh every eight minutes. You got to, you have to have like a wow, make them look up like every three minutes or something. That's why we do the dad jokes. That's why I do. Throughout the the podcast is we're just trying to pull people back in. I've taken down some of your notes and tried them on my kid, uh, some of the jokes on my kids. And and I'd say I'm about 50, 50 with them. That's better than I'm doing. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you might be at But my kids have a very low bar. They have a very low bar for my jokes. Um, so you're right. Actually, it's very interesting you brought up eight minutes. There's there's some really good research that says every eight to 10 minutes, you need to change things up to re-engage people's attention. Okay. So how do we do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, to my mind, there are three major ways. There's physical engagement. Get people doing something physical. Have them writing something down. If you're virtual, typing into the chat, watching a video, looking at a demonstration, get them doing something physical. Mm-hmm. Where your body goes, your mind follows. Mm-hmm. The second is, is actually mental engagement. Ask questions, take polls, use analogies. Analogies are very powerful ways to engage people. Mm. And then the final way is in the words you use, linguistic engagement. The most powerful word to get people engaged is the word you. When you say the word you, people pay more attention. We've been trained since we were Mm. little kids from our parents, our teachers, caregivers, that when you hear the word you, you should pay attention. So adding things like, as you know, or as you might be wondering. And then finally, linguistically, using words like imagine, or what if, or picture this, 
This gets people to actually envision what you're talking about. And using language like that can be very engaging. So we get people's attention and then we sustain that attention through engagement by being physically engaging, mentally engaging, and linguistically engaging. Relationships are the key to success. Right now, everyone in your database knows three to five people who need what you sell. So how do you get those valuable referrals? By connecting consistently and meaningfully. American Lifestyle Magazine is a high-quality, 48-page publication branded to you and full of amazing content your recipients will love. It helps you stay connected with your clients and sphere, keeping you top of mind for referrals. Want to see how it works? Get your free sample of American Lifestyle Magazine at ReminderMedia.com slash StayPaidSample. That's ReminderMedia.com slash StayPaidSample. Can you talk a little bit on the same vein of like inflection and like some speakers are really high energy. Like I'm more of a high energy person. You could probably tell by when you came onto the Zoom, right? I'm a louder, boisterous type personality. But but not everybody's like that. Like, what's your advice to speakers in in using inflection and tone and volume? Yeah, so I have a lot to say about nonverbal presence. Part of it, part of it is what we call the vocal aspects, which you're talking about. So it's not the words; it's how you say them. What the research tells us is that change is good. Novelty keeps people engaged. If I were to talk like this for any length of time, people would tune out. So it's the variation that helps. Now, people like you, uh, Luke, who are naturally energetic, I, I fall into that category too. We have lots of variety in our voice. We vary our volume. We vary our rate. Others are, are more subdued. And there's nothing wrong with that, except you do want to have a little bit of variation. A great way to build that in is to add emotive words, adjectives and adverbs. Remember your high school English teacher uh, focusing on those because we inflect those naturally when we say them. I would never say I'm really excited to be here. No, I would say I'm really excited because those two descriptive words invite that variation in my voice. So the research suggests you need to have some variation in volume and rate to keep people focused. And to do it, the easiest way to do it is just to focus on these descriptive words to help. Mm. Is there sort of a shortcut to building confidence in speaking in front of people or speaking even virtually to a large group? Or is it literally you just have to do it over and over and over again? So there are techniques you can use that through deploying them will help you feel more comfortable and confident. But I tell people it's like learning a sport or learning a musical instrument. It takes time and practice. Anybody who sells you a shortcut uh, is probably not telling you the truth. Or if they're offering you supplements or or things that you can (laughs) do and take, those come with consequences to them. And so I'm a big fan of, of cognitively and behaviorally working on these simple things like getting yourself in the moment, reminding yourself that you bring value to the situation, practicing in a, in a situation similar to what you're, you're in will help. The book I wrote uh, you, that you mentioned gives 50 academically verified techniques. Uh, and hopefully I'll have an opportunity to share other resources that don't require you purchasing a book. But there are there are ways to to build confidence. But to my mind, there's no shortcut. 50 no shortcut. academically researched yeah, ways to build confidence. Yeah. And, and the reason I wrote the book is, is in my academic studies, I knew that there were all these ways, but they weren't ever systematically assembled to be accessible to people. Uh, often academics write for other academics. Mm. And, and so when I would look to help my students and the people I coached with 
resources. There just wasn't anything out there. So that's why I wrote the book. I never wanted to be an author of that kind of book. But uh, there are many, many techniques that are out there. And, and it's just a matter of getting them to people. Not all 50 work for each person. Everybody's different. And so you have to find the techniques that work for yeah. you. It's so true. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, when we first started this podcast, I didn't want to get on it. Like I was scared to death. I, 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 was, I was I was still a little terrified. You used to hide behind the mic. It was, it was funny. Yeah. And then, you know, <clears throat> you had to speak in front of the company every once in a while. And it's just the worst. <laughs> but it's literally the more you do it. And, and then I, I've also found that like even for the intros, I'll read the intros out loud a couple times just to get used yeah. to them, just to kind of under, make sure, you know, I, I I understand everything I'm saying, make sure that it flows. So I think so many people just think that some people have it, right? They just think, oh, some people have the gift of gab. They have the natural talent, which, you know, some right. people do. I would say, Luke, you you do, and you, but you also spend a lot of your younger years performing in a front lot of people. Of, so you got a lot, lot of, of practice years. in there too. Correct. Yeah. But it really is a matter of preparation and, and just repetition, I would I would say. Absolutely. And the one thing I like about the fact that you read things out loud is you're actually warming up. Mm. Many of us, we go from a cold start to our communication. Yet we know in our lives, if you're an athlete, if you're a musician, if you're an actor, you know, warming up mm -hmm. is actually important to do, but nobody does that. Yeah. So I love that you're, you're actually reading point. out loud that's warming yourself up and that helps. We'll talk about a little bit about overcoming objections and kind of questions, because obviously this is a, being a sales podcast and, and marketing podcast. We got the marketing down with the garbage sale, but now with the, the sales side of it, <laughs> yeah. how, in terms of uh, effective communication when overcoming objections. Yeah, so let me let me take a step back before I answer that question, and that and that is really our approach to. Q&A and objection handling often needs to be altered. Many of us see those situations as combative, where I have to defend my position, mm. where you are challenging me. And I'd like to have that flipped completely. I actually see objections, harsh questions, challenging questions as opportunities. They're opportunities for me to engage, to collaborate, to share, to further explain and extend and expand. And quite frankly, you know, the people who object are the type of people that I want to engage with because at least they care. It's the apathetic person who doesn't say anything. Those are the people that are really hard to convince and influence. Mm -hmm. So when somebody brings forth a question that's challenging or an objection, first and foremost, you need to acknowledge it. You need to share that you hear it. Doesn't mean you agree with it, but that you hear it. Part of this is connection, building trust and collaboration. So acknowledging that is important. Also making sure you understand it is important. And again, understanding doesn't mean agreeing. You know, I, I think back for both of you to conversations or arguments you've had where it was really a misunderstanding. If you really had listened or you'd really shared in a little more detail, chances are you would have seen that there's, there's agreement or at least a path to agreement. So I'm a big fan of paraphrasing. So when you lob an objection my way, I will often summarize what I heard you say to make sure that I got it right. Now, again, that doesn't mean I agree. It just means I heard you. Mm. And if I got it wrong, you can correct it. It is then and only then that I begin to share my position or to look for areas of agreement or at least areas that we can start. So I, I see the objections as really opportunities and invitations to problem solve. And when you look at them that way, it changes your whole demeanor. You're no longer defensive. You're no longer curt in your responses. And it really can open you up to learning new things and, and hopefully coming to some level of negotiated agreement. No, I love that. And it's so interesting in, in the sales world, 
because that's the world I live in usually. Sure. Um, in the sales world, it, there is something about when you dig deeper to actually say, make sure you understand, even asking what they mean by what they're saying is insanely powerful to watch the guard drop on the person mm-hmm. literally by your acknowledging, hey, no, I, I totally understand you want X, Y, and Z. And then going, hey, can you explain to me? Because I'm not sure I understand totally what you mean by X. And that literally makes the, the guard just totally drop because they're explaining deeper their objection. And so it's like a, a technique as well in sales, even though you should do it sincerely because sincerity and yeah, authenticity so is always what resonates with people. But it's such a good sales technique to bring down the guard because when people in sales give an objection, their guard is so up because their expectation is you're trying to sell me and you're going to try to tell me why what I just said is not true instead of taking the route of, hey, totally hear you. And that is totally true. Grant Cardone, who's a famous sales trainer right now out on the scene, maybe you've heard of him. And regardless of what people think of Grant, like one of the things that he has said that has been so powerful is the same idea that you just preach, which is stay in agreement. The moment you get out of agreement with somebody is the moment you enter into debate mode. And nobody, what I explain to my sales team is nobody wins in a debate. Nobody wins. Like the the audience might dictate who won, but the debate person against the other debate person, they're never going to come to agreement. They're debating each other. And so it's so powerful. What about like phrasing? Are you familiar with like Chris Voss, um, Split the Never Split the Difference or whatever? Have you ever heard of that book? I've heard Never Split the Difference. I haven't read it. Okay. Yeah. No, no problem. He talks about like the phrasing sometimes of like your your language. I don't, I want to get your take on this. Like he'll say, you know, don't like, or ask questions that people will naturally say no to, but when they say no, they're really saying yes. Mm -hmm. So like an example would be, would you uh, be opposed to meeting on Saturday? The natural (laughs) reaction of humans is to say, no, I'm not available to meet on Saturday. But when you listen to what I just said, I said, would you be opposed to meeting on Saturday? And you're going to say no. And so now I go, okay, perfect. Uh, 10 o'clock, we can come. You get what I'm saying? Like it's a phrasing. Type. I totally what, understand. What's your take I, on that? Whether you agree with it, don't agree. Like I would love to hear your take. So I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of tricking people through through your communication, which I think that, that example did. But I, I am absolutely supportive of thinking through the language you use and the words you use. Uh, if there are words that, that are more inviting to people, if they're words that are triggering, try to avoid those. Language matters and how you frame things through language can be really, really important. Uh, one of my favorite studies on language um, asks people if uh, they, they imagine a horrific situation. You have a terrible terminal illness. There's a treatment that you can take that uh, is 67% unsuccessful. Would you like the treatment? Or they come to you and they say, there's a treatment you could take that has a 33% success rate. Would you like to take it? Hmm. Now, if you do quick math, you understand that I've just presented exactly the same thing. But by framing it negatively, fewer people are willing to take it. By framing it positively, more people are willing to take it. So language is really important in all communication and being mindful of your language is absolutely critical. Certainly, I do not advocate tricking people through language, but but thinking about your language, absolutely important. I love that. Which one was more successful? The 67%? No, framing it as a, the as a benefit. Framing a 33% chance of success was more successful. We we call it gain or loss framing in the academic world. And there's a difference when you frame things as a gain and frame things as a loss. You can can, uh, influence how people say yes or no to things. 
That's so good. Uh, I want to ask this question because it's more of a selfish question, but I don't want to forget about it, is what about from an opening perspective, when you're opening to an audience, opening with a story? Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's two phrases. One that I've seen success for me personally is like, if I open with, let me tell you a story. So I walk Mm -hmm. out on stage and the, you know, you've been introduced or whatever, and you literally go, hey, let me tell you a story. And then the Mm -hmm. audience leans in a little bit. The other one that's been more successful for me is opening up and you talked about dropping into a scene. So like one time I was teaching at my church and I literally opened up and said, it was 1969. Yeah. And Jim Elliott had flown. And I told this story about Jim Elliott, a missionary, right? But um, it's like, I opened up immediately just with like that story. Um, Do you find like stories or like the real way to engage the audience? Like what's your take on how often you should share share stories versus doing the questions and stuff like that? So in my long career of teaching and coaching communication, I cannot think of a time I've told people to put fewer stories in their communication. (laughs) I am sure there is some limit, but stories are incredibly powerful. And I like your example of just jumping right into it. I'm not a big fan of announcing what I'm going to do. I'd rather you just tell the story rather than tell me you're going to tell me a story. Although doing that can build a little bit of curiosity and building curiosity is really engaging. I'll tell you what, our brains are wired for story. I I have the great pleasure of hosting my own podcast called Think Fast, Talk Smart. And I interview academics all about communication skills. And I had, uh, I've had several neurocognitive neuroscientists on. I had a gentleman named David Eagleman. Uh, He's a prolific author and just a deep thinker. And and he's a neuroscientist. And and he essentially said our brains are wired for story. In fact, Mm -hmm. long-term memory is also called episodic memory. Episodes or little stories. Mm -hmm. And the analogy he used, you you know the ending of Star Wars, the first one, the one you guys are of my vintage, the first one we saw, what's now called episode four, uh, where Luke Skywalker is going down the Death Star alley and shoots that little torpedo that lands in the the basket there, uh, like he's shooting a free throw. Uh, (laughs) He said, stories are like that for your brain. They go in and they activate your brain in a way that that other types of information, data, bullet points, those don't do it. So I am a huge fan of telling stories. Now, the, the trick is to be concise and clear in your storytelling. Many people ramble on and on. So we do have to be clear in our stories, but certainly they are helpful. Mm. You know what's interesting? I want to make the point for people. We have seen on TikTok I don't know, Matt, if you're on TikTok or not, but we have have two teenagers. I am not, but my house is. So what's interesting about our podcast videos and stuff is when we open up with, that reminds me of the story. And then we go in right away on our TikTok. Those ones have done better for us on our TikTok channel. And it's the same, I'm sure psychology applies, just maybe a little bit different of a medium and and different variables. But it is super interesting. So you can almost think about it from an application standpoint. If you're not speaking in front of audiences a ton, think about your content on social when you're when you're doing a video or when you're doing a TikTok, you know, opening up with a story pulls people right in, especially if you can apply it to your business. Absolutely. And and lots of things we do in business are opportunities for us to tell stories, your methodology, how you're different. It, you've, I'm sure you've heard show, don't tell. The way to show is to tell stories about what it is. I I just did a fascinating interview with, uh, I assume you all know Legos. Uh, Lego instruction manuals to me are the 
epitome of concise and clear communication. Mm. In fact, Lego instruction manuals have no words. And yet people all around the world can build Legos. Compare that to putting together Ikea furniture and Ikea instructions, (laughs) right? Right? I mean, night and day. And they're they're from two countries that are right next door to each other. I talked to somebody who oversees how Lego creates their, their manuals. And he told me that they actually see their manuals, their instruction manuals as stories. You are actually, the building is a story. They build in things that are, they, they build emotion into simply assembling Legos. And I use that example simply to say, all of us can build story into our communication. If you can do it in an instruction manual for assembling a toy, you can put story in anything. Man, that's such a good golden nugget. Yeah. Matt, I have to tell you, I have about, I don't know. How many Legos? Yeah, this guy's a Lego. This yeah, guy's a, a Lego, Lego fanatic. Yeah, just filled up you know, another Legos closet cool. with Legos. I actually use Legos as therapy. Do you do, you do that too, uh, Josh? I do. You know, it's called de really stress. Yeah, it's called yes, Lego? exactly. I was, yes, it's the most relaxing thing to sit down and build a Lego. Like if I'm if yeah. I'm stressed or huh. I'm busy or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Because you don't have and to there's think. There's research on that. There, there's research because it's it's cognitively demanding enough, so you have to focus, but it's not overburdensome, right? And then yes. at the end, you have something to show for it. So yeah. any any habit or hobby that can help you do that will help people relax and feel oh, uh, so no stress. I thought I was just a large child, but it turns out, <laughs> yeah. Well, you are that too, but you you're you're wise and you're de-stressing. <laughs> and Matt, I gotta ask you: There's 50 techniques, right? Research techniques. Yeah. I know it's hard to pick a top one or top two or whatever, but I'd love to hear your the ones that have helped you the most. Maybe the top one or two techniques. I'm going to give you three, you. if okay. that's okay. That's awesome. So, so, so the first is to be in the present moment. Many of us are made nervous because we're worried about a potential negative outcome. I won't close the deal. I won't get the grade. I won't get the date. Whatever it is. If you can make yourself present oriented and you can do that by doing something physical, listening to a song or a playlist, counting backwards from 100 by 17s, these are all easy ways to get in the present moment. That can help because it short circuits the fear of the future. The, the second way is physiological, deep breathing, deep belly breaths have been shown for millennia to help relax people. And the, and the key is you want your exhale to be twice as long as your inhale. Oh, wow. So it's not the inhalation that counts, it's the exhalation. So the rule of thumb, or what I like to jokingly say, the rule of lung is take your exhale to be twice as long as your inhale. And then the third one is to, as I've mentioned earlier, remind yourself you are in service of your audience. You bring value to the people you are speaking to. And if you remind yourself of that, it can cancel out all of those negative thoughts we say to ourselves before we speak. Like, I'm not prepared. I'm not worthy. Is this worth it? Uh, Simply saying there's value I bring can help reduce your anxiety. So those are the three that I find worked for me. And that I find really worked for lots of other people. That's so good. What were the other tips for being present? You said counting backwards from 100 Counting by backwards, listening to a song or a playlist, okay. doing something physical like a walk around the building. I know a professional speaker who does some push-ups before he speaks. A woman I coached learned that if she plays Tetris right before she goes on stage or runs a meeting, she's calmer because she's present-oriented. Wow. So simple physical things can get you present-oriented. Yeah, Tom Ferry, he's the number one coach in real estate. Um, and we've had him on the show and he speaks a ton. Um, he mm-hmm. jumps on a mini trampoline. I think Tony oh, Robbins right. does something similar, but he yeah. jumps on a mini tra- trampoline. And he does some other what stuff do do? too. Do you do anything? I, I have tried, like, this sounds funny. Uh, like, you know how Michael Phelps kind of stretches? Yeah. Have you ever mm-hmm. seen Michael Phelps kind of flap his, like yeah. I do. And I try mm-hmm. to hold a smile 
for oh. 30 seconds. Like I try to like hold a smile and I'm trying to change my physiology to be happier and to like, like before yeah. I do a webinar over in that room yeah. and you're in this room yeah. ready to go on a webinar together, right? <laughs> Just you can imagine like <laughs> me grinning like an idiot and flapping my arms. So that's what I've tried to do, but I don't have like any, like I do that every time, but I don't, I've never thought about it through the lens of like being present. I love that action item. I yeah. think that's so good. And those two things, by the way, are really powerful. When you when you move, you you give the adrenaline rush that many of us have. Uh, you give that adrenaline a place to go, so so it doesn't stay with you. Big muscle movements help, and the smile releases a whole cascade of neurochemicals. Uh, dopamine uh, and others that help you feel better and actually invite empathy. So they they actually invite you wanting to connect with people. So so smiling, a, a genuine smile can be really helpful. Yeah, I love it. It was something I did um, for years when I used to call on the phone. Uh, we used to be mm-hmm. smile and dial. I mean, we still are. I used to do smile and dial all the time. Mm-hmm. And I used to just like try to hold a smile because you face a lot of rejection on the phone. So you can get down real fast. So try to hold a smile just to snap yourself back out of it. So love that's that. awesome. Matt, would love to ask you kind of, since you're an author and we've been talking about stories and everything, I'm always looking for book recommendations. What book um, has had the biggest impact on your life and and why? So uh, I think my book's a good one, but that, <laughs> that's had an impact on my life. But in different ways. There are two I'm going to share with you. There are two I'm going to share. One is the book Made to Stick by Dan and Chip Heath. Uh, Chip you. actually teaches with me at Stanford's Business School. Oh, it wow. is a great book about how to make ideas stick in people's mind. And it's very practical and tactical. It's been around for 15 plus years. I think everybody who does sales or is interested in communication should read it. And then there's another book, which, which uh, people might take a little step back from, but it's called Improv Wisdom, and it's by Hmm. Patricia Ryan Madsen. And improvisation is not just about getting up on a stage and acting silly. Improv is actually an approach to life. And Patricia does a great job of sharing best practices for how you can live in the moment. You can adopt a yes and mentality. You can really collaborate to help others be successful. It's a short little book that's that's really been transformational for me and many people. That's okay. awesome. And is there a, uh, like a principle or a mantra or anything that you live by in your life? Uh, so a, a version of yes and, you know, my, my whole life has been, uh, I have benefited greatly by saying yes to opportunity when it presents itself. Many people are defensive and say no at first, but I, I often will say yes and, and check things out. And I've also uh, more recently than that adopted this mindset of not yet. So instead of uh, being crushed when somebody says no, I just say that we frame it as not yet. They're not mm. ready. It's not the right time. It's not yet. So between yes and and not yet, mm. uh, those two have helped me uh, in my life. I can 100% echo that. About uh, seven years ago, I, I remember making that shift from initial response, no, because I was nervous, right? I didn't hmm. want to do it. To then, it's like when you asked me to come on the podcast. Normally, yeah. I would have said no. No. But I said no. yes. And yeah. we're going to crush it. Yeah, we're going to crush it. Matt, we're going to number one. Thank you so much right here. for coming on this, uh, coming on Stay Paid. Before we close out, let people know how they can connect with you, how they can get your podcast, how they can get your book, all that good stuff. Wonderful. Thank you. So uh, a couple things. Uh, you can find me and resources I have at a website I, I, uh, call it, uh, I curate called nofreakingspeaking.com. Nofreakingspeaking.com. Lots of resources there. I host a podcast for Stanford's Business School. It's all about communication. Think fast, 
Talk Smart, and then the book that we mentioned, Speaking Up Without Freaking Out. It's been a true pleasure to be with both of you. Thank you and keep up the great work. Thank you, Matt. And thank you all for listening. You can get uh, all of those links uh, that Matt mentioned uh, in this episode over at staypaidpodcast.com along with the rest of the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and want to show your support, there's two ways we ask you to do it. First is to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop us a five-star review and a comment. And the best way to show your support is to tell a friend about this. Uh, Practice this those show. speaking skills. Practice the speaking skills. And tell a friend. Yeah, just simply speak up. Don't freak out. Speak up. Tell somebody. If you want to get a hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast at remindermedia.com or you can find us on social media. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, I'm Luke Acre. Loved this episode, Matt. Thank you so much. Super beneficial, especially even for myself. I speak all the time, so it's super helpful. The action item that I think everybody can benefit from is this action item of being present. Because, I mean, if you're a real estate agent listening to this and you're about to go on a listing presentation today, like, are you present or is your mind consumed of, am I going to get this deal? Am I not going to get this deal? And you and I both know when that happens, you lose the deal. And so practicing being present, implement one of those action items. I don't think I could count backwards from 100 by 17. You know, my, my smart cap has left me, but practice one of those present activities to get your mind set and realize that you're really there to serve. You're there to serve the audience. And that just releases all the tension when you're coming in from a help, from a caring, from a service mentality. Remember the difference between top producers and mediocre producers in every single industry is top producers take action. Take action on that today. 